0: Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday, time for another episode of Life with Gwen. We have something a little different for you this week, so bear with us as we bring you into a book that is probably familiar to many of you. Call me Ishmael. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me, I'm sure, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It is a way I have of driving off the spleen and regulating the circulation. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos, get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off. Then, I account it high time to get to sea as soon as I can. This is my substitute for pistol and ball. With a philosophical flourish, Cato throws himself upon his sword. I quietly take to the ship. There is nothing surprising in this. If they but knew it, almost all men in their degree, some time or other, cherish very nearly the same feelings toward the ocean with me. Brittany:
1: For an instant, the transboat's crew stood still, then turned. The ship, Great God, where is the ship? Soon they threw dim bewildering medium saw her sidelong fading phantom as in the gaseous fata morgana, only the uppermost mass out of the water. While fixed by infatuation or fidelity or fate to their once lofty perches, the pagan harpooners still maintained their sinking lookouts on the sea. And now concentric circles sees the lone boat itself and all its crew. In each floating oar and every lance pole and spinning animate and inanimate, all round and round one vortex, carried the smallest chip of the Pequod out of sight. But as the last whelmings intermixingly poured themselves over the sunken head of the Indian at the main mast, leaving a few inches of the erect spar yet visible, together with long streaming yards of the flag, which calmly undulated with ironic, ironical concedings over the destroying billows they almost touched, at that instant, a red arm and a hammer hovered backwardly, uplifted in the open air, in the act of nailing the fat flag faster and very faster to the subsiding spar. A sky hawk that tauntingly had followed the main truck downwards from its natural home among the stars, pecking at the flag and incommoding Tosh there. This bird now chanced to intercept its broad fluttering wing between the hammer and the wood, and simultaneously feeling that ethereal the submerged savage beneath in his depth. breath, kept his hammer frozen there. And so the bird of heaven, with archangelical streaks and his imperial beak thrust upwards, and his whole captive form folded in the flag of Ahab, went down with his ship, which, like Satan, would not sink to hell till she had dragged the living part of heaven along with her and helmeted herself with it. Now small fowls flew screaming over the yet yawning gulf a sullen white surf beat against its steep sides, then all collapsed and the great trout of the sea rolled on as it rolled 5,000 years ago.
0: Thank you. I think it's time to talk about the whale in the room. We have behind you, a poster that is advertising your, your next project. Yes. Let me back up and introduce you. Everyone that's with us today, this is Brittany Taylor. She's Associate Director of the Provincetown Public Library and the library is uh getting getting uh, ready to do their third annual moby dick marathon so we gave you a little taste of it with the first um the first page of the book yes and the last page of the book but if you'd like to hear the other 575 pages in this edition um, we're going to tell you about some of the events that are going on and i want to tell you that in case people had not remembered how it ends, we did not read the epilogue. Yes. So,
1: we didn't want to spoil
0: it for you. Anyway, we have a nice comment from Melanie Irons who says, Who needs Audible when you have this? Well, thank you, Melanie. We uh, we take that as a compliment. <laughs> so um, this, this is fascinating to me. I have seen the um, live marathon reading done in New Bedford for yeah. many years. I think they do it at New Year's, right?
1: They do it yeah. in the winter, in, the in winter. consecutive 24 hours.
0: OK. <laughs> um, tell me about the event that, that you're having. And I can. I don't know if people can see the dates behind you. So um, tell me a little bit about when it begins. And you're going to read the whole book, right?
1: Yes, the entire book. It starts on Friday, April twenty-seventh, goes through Saturday, April 28th, and finally ends on Sunday, April 29th. And unlike New Bedford, who reads for 24 hours straight, our 24 hours are broken up over these three days.
0: So you don't uh, have the slot that my friends take in New Bedford at 1 a.m. on New Tuesday? No, and we,
1: we try not to make people come out to the library at those odd hours, so we break it up into more.
0: It'd be the great great place for uh, setting for, for a mystery, though, if, if you <laughs> yes. did. Moby Dick and Agatha Agatha
1: Christie mystery Mm -hmm. in the library
0: tell me a little bit about um, well is this done by volunteers how do you how do you have all your get all your readers
1: all of our readers are volunteers we do have one um, theater company Sailor Beware that will come in and do some of the more um, theatrical parts of the book but everything else is done by volunteers who either love our library or love Melville, love the book. So we have about 115 volunteer readers throughout the three days that come in to read.
0: For 135 chapters. Yes so everybody's reading a chapter or so and uh, do do you know like um, the, uh, the the actors? Is there, like, can you tell me about one of the scenes they might be portraying?
1: Um, one of the scenes that they do is the quarter deck, and that will be sometime on Saturday morning, right around the beginning of our start to that day. Um, and that's the part that includes the, the crew singing on the ship and uh, fun. those type of stage-like directives mm-hmm. in there.
0: Oh, that'll be great! And uh, do do Pete, do you do a cold, you know, a run through? Do people get a chance to practice, or do they practice at home?
1: We have so this is the book that we use throughout the marathon. and We also have scanned it all, so there's PDF versions that we can send to our readers, so they can practice at their leisure until then. But once, once the marathon starts, there's no practicing.
0: Kind of like us going into this yeah. <laughs> a little bit cold. I have to say that uh, I'm familiar with several things from the book. I'm not sure that I've read it all the way through. And when you brought the copies, the first thing I did was look at the first page and make sure I knew all the words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it takes a certain amount of uh, courage to get out there and, and read. But I think there's nothing like being read to.
1: It, it is nice. It's Everyone has their own reading. so you get a lot of different voices reading this one book, which is really great.
0: Do you have a a wide range of uh, age and gender, you know, men and women reading um, as volunteers?
1: We definitely do. We have our staff, including myself, reads a lot of it, but from the community, we have teachers, we have uh, town employees, we have politicians coming in to read it, we have people that just happen to come in and see my sign up sheet and sign right up how um
0: what's your your younger uh, range like you know do you have kids like high schoolers or maybe even junior high reading
1: we don't we haven't had that young we I I should take that back because last year we did have someone in middle school who oh? took half a section and did it and that was great um, I'm probably on the younger side of the spectrum for our readers mm-hmm. but this year we also have a uh, Mad About Moby Children's Storytime. Oh, wonderful. Uh, that will read adaptations of the book for kind of the younger crowd. That will be great. And then from problem some schools, we had a fourth grade class read different adaptations. And then they uh, talked about the different vocabulary in the book and uh, all the, they drew a whale and a ship and labeled it all with all the parts. So it was, we're trying to get everyone involved even even the younger crowd.
0: I think you sent us a list of some of these events, and don't worry about writing them down, guys, because we will have uh, something in the books page on, on Sunday that talks a little bit about uh, some of these events that you may want to check out. You could put it on the fridge, and you'll be able to know when you're going. Um, so if we mention dates and times here, it's it's not necessary to, to take it down. Um, one of the things that I did recently with Moby Dick, and you seem very familiar because uh, I should tell everyone that that uh, Brittany actually has uh, ma- uh, majored, I keep wanting to say mastered today, I <laughs> think that's because of the ship, but she's majored in uh, English, so she's pretty familiar with this book. And uh, when I was asking questions when we first met, you know, she had very specific answers, and I thought, wow, that's a lot of book to, to keep in your mind. But there's a chapter we were talking about, and I'm the food editor here, so uh, about making chowder.
1: Yes, there is. I think the chapter is actually called Chowder.
0: Yep. And uh, I I thought it was fascinating. Uh, There's a story. I'll put this up on our website, everyone, uh, at CapeCodTimes.com slash food, because uh, there's a story uh, that I did years ago that, that sort of talked with cookbook historian about the development of chowder recipes as we know them today, because on the ship, they made it on the ship a lot with extra, uh, fish and that kind of thing, but there's certainly no cream because it wouldn't keep. So, you know, we don't have that creamy chowder yeah. that we see in restaurants here. That's not, you know, that's not on, on the ship. So it, uh, it's interesting also that people tend to think that, um, Uh, The author, Herman Herman Melville, was uh, um, in Nantucket, but you said?
1: He actually, he took a whale ship. He was on a whale ship, which is where he got a lot of the experiences that inspired this book. But he went out of New Bedford, which was the most popular whaling port of that time. He set it in Nantucket, which was kind of the origins of whaling. Mm -hmm. So he wanted that kind of... um, beginning feel like this is where it all started this Uh is the the Eden of whaling on Nantucket Um, but his experiences were actually out of New Bedford which they mention in this book but is not where their their port of call is and we're
0: talking about um, 1851 or so I think you were saying yeah that's when Melville
1: himself wrote it Mm -hmm. and uh, before that he went on his expeditions off the Galapagos
0: and it was greeted wildly Appreciated, right?
1: Not, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, it was pretty much a failure. It got mixed reviews, so they weren't all bad. Uh, it was definitely a commercial failure for him. He didn't make any money of it. His book before that, Typey, printed about thirteen thousand copies, and that was considered popular. And when he was alive, Moby Dick printed about three thousand, so far less than that. And it wasn't until some of uh, about a hundred years later. Uh, around world war ii that people began to see this as the great american novel
0: was was it the, do you think the length was off putting for people
1: i'm not sure because back then people there wasn't television <laughs> so they liked some meaty books to really yeah. get into um, i think he just wasn't appreciated during his time yeah. for this um, his friend nathaniel hawthorne certainly um was a proponent of it but Uh Everyone else was kind of unsure about it.
0: It's, um, it's interesting because you say, you know, people were looking for meaty books to read. And um, I have this image, which I, I think is historically true, of people, because there wasn't television and that kind of thing, sitting in the parlor and you know, one person would, would do the reading while other people did needlework or, or, you know, uh, just relaxed. But uh, it, that was entertainment in the day to, to be reading a book and reading it aloud. How do you know how it came about that um, Provincetown decided they were going to read Moby Dick aloud every year?
1: Yes. Well, Provincetown is actually uh, back in the time when whaling was um, a big commercial endeavor for people. Provincetown was the third biggest whaling port, and Provincetown has a history of celebrating our fishing community and our um, our ships. So we had heard that. New Bedford had a marathon, New York City had a marathon, and Mystic Connecticut had a marathon. Right,
0: I forgot about Mystic.
1: Yeah, so and those all happened summer, fall, and winter, and we thought with Problem Sound having such a great whaling history, and our library having the replica of the Rose Dorothea in it, which is a huge, almost 70-foot replica.
0: um, Talk a little bit about that, okay, because I think a lot of people won't be familiar.
1: um, we, We thought we were the perfect place for Another marathon in the spring to really round out the year of Melville. The Rose Orthea is was a Provincetown fishing schooner that actually won the Lipton Cup, which was for the fishermen's race that happened between Gloucester and I think Plymouth. Okay. um, So they won the ship, and when our library was a heritage museum, they decided they wanted to rebuild a replica. The real one was sunk during World War One,
0: And the real one wouldn't fit in the library?
1: No, yeah. it, it would become close. So we cut it in half. It's still 66 feet long.
0: Wow.
1: But it was built over the course of 10 or 12 years by volunteers mm-hmm. and a master ship builder and a master rigger. So it's really the, the star of our library that a lot of people don't know about. But So if you come see. to the
0: marathon, you get a chance to see the um, the ship as well and uh, that's that's so amazing to me that volunteers did that but then again i think those winters are very long and you probably need some creativity and community to keep yourself going you know and get ready for for a very crowded summer so it um it's interesting. I noticed that one of your um, one of your speakers and possibly readers this year is uh, Dr. Stormy Mayo. Yes. Um, and a um, well-known name, not only in Provincetown, but uh, all over New England in terms of his coastal work. Um, and uh, there's also a panel discussion. Um, I can't see with the glasses on. I can't see with them off. It's time for cheaters. Um, is... Uh, on Thursday, April 26th at 6 o'clock, Yes, and that's going to talk a little bit about the um, the the North Atlantic right whale, and there couldn't be a better time. Would you like to tell me a little bit about who's on the panel and, and what they're yes. going to be so, suggesting?
1: <laughs> Dr. Stormy Mayo is opening our marathon with Call Me Ishmael, but he's also um, one of the better known names in the whaling conservation community. Mm-hmm. So he will be Uh, one of the panels for this discussion on the North Atlantic right whale. And he'll be joined by Regina Asmetis Silvia who is from the Whale and Dolphin Conservation, Um, Aaron Burke from the Massachusetts Division of Marine Fisheries, and um, Dennis Minsky who has been in the whale washing area for a mm-hmm. long time with the Dolphin Fleet. I was going to
0: ask if he was with the Dolphin, dolphin the Fleet because the name is familiar.
1: So they're all going to come together to talk about the North Atlantic right Whale, who's really struggling right now, and there's only about 400 individuals in the world, um, so they're going to talk about some conservation efforts, um, we'll have Dr. Stormy Mayo, he's really from the, the Center for Coastal Studies perspective, but then we'll have the government perspective with Aaron. and. Um, Regina is just great with the conservation with all marine life.
0: I'm not sure, but it sounds like my colleague Doug Frazier might be there. He covers fisheries for us and has written about the the whale issue, uh, I shouldn't say issue, but but the, the battle to make sure they don't go extinct. Um, uh, quite a bit, and and so it's interesting. It's a wonderful time that um, you have your marathon anyway, but it also ties in with so many current issues.
1: It does, it does, and it so it's a strange juxtaposition with the conservation of whales, but also a story about whaling. But if you read read the novel, it becomes more than just a exploitive whaling book it's really more about nature and its power so
0: in, in its time historically you know whaling was was uh, a big industry and i'm i'm not sure that people knew then that they'd run out of whales you mm-hmm. know so uh it's uh, as you say new bedford that entire south coast was built on it as as well as uh, um nantucket yeah know? so um it i find myself thinking sometimes that uh, um, it's too bad people didn't know back then but it, it was sort of a very accepted thing. In fact, I was reading just this morning in today's paper about um, the uh, the fact that the National Seashore just had to take down a whalebone archway that went to their historic Peniman house <laughs> because the bones had begun to deteriorate. And I never really thought about this, but uh, they have to, you know, it, it was from um, a whale who had died and they have to like, you know, uh, Treat them and and you know shape them into the archways, but I guess that was common on uh, Nantucket during the whaling industry, like in the late 1700s. You know, yeah. So um, it it is amazing that that one was still there. I I'm not sure what they're gonna do. And and now even um, whale uh, even whales that wash up on the the shore are protected. You can't go near them. The scientists are trying to figure out. You know. As you well know, what what happened and, and what is happening.
1: Yes, and that's something they'll talk about in our panel discussion too. Because especially um, Stormy has seen a lot of whale entanglement issues with mm. nets, but there's also boat collis- collisions and other factors with just their their environment affecting their population. So it will definitely be a.
0: And I know there's eye-opening. concern about about not reaching the extinction point because you need to have a certain number of. Uh, females of breeding age in order to uh, get the the uh, species to continue. So, are there um, events, especially for children this year that you'd like to mention besides the one that you did? So
1: the the um, story time is definitely our main event. We really tried to talk to the schools this year and get their teachers involved so that the kids would want to come and see their teachers read with us. And also we had our fourth grade class just to do a really great job of exploring the book for themselves so that as they grow up in town, they know that this is important to us, this piece of literature is important, and, and why it is.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you found this when you were studying the book, but uh, there were a couple of things I noticed and, and when you were reading and when I was reading. it. it what I used to see is just, kind of long yeah and maybe a little overwritten as some of the uh, dickens and other writers of the the era you know they were working by the the word that kind of thing but you know when i listen to it now it's like poetry
1: yes it's very he was melville was inspired by poetry and you can see that in his language as well as shakespeare in the bible and nathaniel hawthorne so we get kind of a mix of everything and mm-hmm. and that can make it kind of intimidating to read and a lot of even to me, a lot of the parts are a little dull when you get into Scientology and in the longer, more textbook-like uh, passages. But,
0: but not the chowder passage.
1: Not the chowder. Yeah, that was not pretty, pretty interesting.
0: Um, and uh, it, uh, you know, it is. It's almost like he was chronicling um, a his, the historical perspective as well as telling the, the the story.
1: Yes, it's definitely. And I was just, if you've read the book or you most of it <laughs> most of it um nathaniel philbrick who wrote in the heart of the sea which is yes. about the whale ship essex which is also also
0: from nantucket
1: yes tied into the end of moby dick he nathaniel philbrick wrote a book called why read moby dick
0: i remember yeah <laughs> it's and, been a while now
1: but uh, and he really talks about how it chronicles things in a way that you need to know the. The anatomy of a whale to understand all the details in the end so
0: so it fits in it fits in you know if you're it might living
1: seem like it in a community time, where there
0: is uh where where the whaling has been such a strong influence uh in the history of the the town it does fit in and uh yes i i think uh, um Mr. Philbrick is going to come with one of his books, his newest one, to uh, to, to, to comes uh, in the next few oh, yeah. weeks, and um, he is he is a prolific writer, and and it's interesting because he goes from subject to subject and 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 uh, you know kind of captures each one. Yes. Anyway, um, one of the other things that I noticed about uh, that I've always thought about uh, this book is that, like Shakespeare, and other authors. Um, Parts of the book become well-known, um, become, well known, become a, a, a sort of shorthand for our language. I was telling Brittany before the, the camera started that, uh, that if, if someone said, call me Ishmael, I would think, okay, here's someone who's going to face a very daunting task and, uh, and uh, is also saying, I have a story to tell you. You know, settle in in that in those three words. You know, uh, settle in because I've got a long whale of a tale to tell you. <laughs> so, it's a, Do you get many um, questions specifically about Moby Dick when you're, you know, doing the marathon or just at the library in general?
1: I definitely during the marathon, I get a lot of questions about the novel, about what I think about it, about why we're reading it, and so. Uh, People tend to forget about it when we're not having the marathon, yeah. so I don't get as many questions, but once we start and when people realize that we're, we're going to continue to read this, they want to know more about why we're doing it and more than just about how it connects to Provincetown, but why this book, why do people continue to mention it and read it? I guess,
0: I guess one of my questions would be, why every year?
1: I think that, um, actually, Nathaniel Philbrick calls Moby Dick the American Bible. Hmm. And so it just becomes this this story that's important to us and that's enduring. It has a lot of archetypes in it, um, and it's really just a search for truth and meaning in life. And we think that celebrating those themes as well as literature is really a way to cement ourselves as a library and as as an information center for people and it's and people like it it's fun to bring it the community and, and, on top of and, all of and on
0: top of all of that information you have that driving theme that that we all are going to face our white whale you know the other expression that comes <laughs> yes. from that you know it's a white whale of a day <laughs> yeah um because uh because that that striving you know i i don't know if this is accurate but sometimes i think about uh old man in the sea when i think about this book you know, in terms of the determination and uh, um, for for this for this one man for Captain Ahab. Yes. So, if you have any questions, we have about five minutes left, and um, I wanted to mention that the Provincetown Town Library, like many libraries on the Cape, I think possibly all of the libraries on the Cape, is very social media savvy now. So, if you have questions for them, I'm going to mention that uh, they are on. Facebook at Provincetown Public Library, and also they're part of the CLAMS Network, which is on Facebook at uh, CLAMS Library Network. It's uh, in today's show information. And there's also, um, they're on, uh, Provincetown Library on Twitter, Instagram. They have a website, ProvincetownLibrary.org. I think you uh, are posting photographs on that website week-
1: weekly, is it? Yep, we do a blog with photos. Mm-hmm. Um, Moby Dick actually has its page if you want more information. So,
0: Absolutely. So, uh, you know, it it's a place, it, it really gives me a sense of community. And you've just recently started something that is pretty much all about community, your Friday morning coffee?
1: Yes, yeah, so we've really tried to um, keep this coffee hour throughout the winter and summer so that Both year-round residents and visiting or seasonal residents can come to the library, talk to each other, get a nice cup of coffee, and really um, cement the library as a community center.
0: That's a really neat idea, you know. I, I think a lot of the uh, libraries are turning to that sort of thing. Um, I covered something over in Osterville where they actually had a sort of uh, date with the book, yeah. you know. And, uh, you know, based on the, the uh, speed dating, it was like yeah. book speed dating, you know. Uh, not, not just for um, couples, but, you know, just the idea of meeting book friends that you would want to, you know, read the same thing and that yeah. kind
1: of thing. Yeah, we, we just started a, a Promptown Public Library book discretion group, which is basically a big book club for all of our regular patrons. So people can come to the library to talk about the same book, but also at the coffee hour, they can just talk about any book anything. and anything yep. they want.
0: Any issues in town they want to talk about? (laughs) Yes. Um, And this is School Vacation Week, so I imagine you, like uh, many, well last week was National Library Week. Yes. But then this week is School Vacation Week, so I know that that we're, you know, parents are all saying, God bless the library. Um, So do you have one or two, because we have about a minute left, uh, events going on for kids?
1: Um, For kids, we do a great pop-up story hour, so especially when it's raining, we have an army of volunteers that we give a call once we see that our children's area is uh, flooded with people, and they'll come ready to read for story time. Um, We have plenty of toys, plenty of arts and crafts. Well, I think that
0: reading a lot brings us right back to the beginning (laughs) of our discussion when uh, we became the volunteer readers and said, Hey, if you want to hear Moby Dick, and I can't think of a better way to to take in the information that's in this book. If you want to hear Moby Dick, here's an opportunity. Here's the spring marathon reading and uh, head down to Provincetown. You can learn more about the plight of whales as well as the plight of someone you might've met in high school (laughs) or college, or perhaps you've forgotten about Moby Dick by, Herman Melville will be uh, starring next next weekend at the uh, – it's a week from this weekend.
1: A week from Friday, yeah. yes.
0: Okay. We'll be starring at the Provincetown Public Library. Brittany uh, Taylor and her colleagues will be there to help out. And are you still taking volunteer readers? Yes, we done? have
1: about 14 slots. So.
0: If we did it in front of all of you, you guys can do it too. <laughs> if you're around Provincetown, sign up for a slot. Thanks for watching, and join us again next week for Life with Gwen. It's always great to meet you here for whatever the topic of the week is. Thanks for coming, Brittany. Thank you.